0: week on the Digital Dust podcast. Hey, why don't we watch a historic movie together and let's like tear it apart? Let's just rip it to shreds. And we watched Shakespeare in Love.
1: Yes, her movies. I oh, saw it. I saw
0: it. I saw it,
1: because <laughs> like,
2: she stabbed herself, and everyone just like smiled, and I'm like, oh yeah, okay.
0: Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Digital Dust. I'm Liz.
2: I'm Robin,
1: and I am Patrick, (laughs) Master Performer of the Dramatic Arts.
0: Oh, on theme. Very on theme. We can tell you. We can tell you. First of all, you may notice um, our dearly beloved Katie is not with us today. Uh, Her life is a little hectic as she is preparing to, you know, move across the world and live in Scotland in the new year. So rightfully so. She is busy sorting out her life and packing things up and all those sad things. Um, But speaking of Across the Pond, um, today we have a really exciting kind of subject that stemmed from an idea that, hey, why don't we watch a historic movie together? uh, Or at least like watch it in our own respective Homes because COVID still. Um One day. and yeah. And let's like tear it apart. Let's just rip it to shreds. Um and so that's kind of <laughs> what we did. So this is our little movie theater. Um indeed. indeed. And we I you know, I, I was kind of googling things. It's so hard to find like historic movies that like you can kind of analyze that aren't war movies. I kinda wanted to make sure that we didn't do war movies. Just because I was like, A, I don't really want to do that. And B, it's just like, we already know that war movies are problematic. Like, you know, so. Yeah. So instead, we are taking a trip back to the 17th century, uh, 16th and 17th, I guess, right on the the cusp. Um, And we watched Shakespeare in Love. I'm write me a sonnet, Will.
1: Meet young Will Shakespeare.
2: I have a sonnet to write. Sonnet? You mean a
0: play?
1: He's out of luck.
0: I say this theater is closed. Notice will be posted.
1: Out of money.
2: I'm still on money for this play. What is money to you and me? And out of ideas. I hear you have a new play for the curtain. What's it called? Romeo and Ethel, the pirate's daughter. Mm. Uh.
0: Yeah. And had Robin, you'd seen it before, right? I had, yeah, but yeah.
2: never... Never sat down to truly listen to what these people were saying and, gosh dang, mm-mm. <laughs> I have <am> words <laughs> for this movie. Oh
1: dear. Oh dear. I, know I
2: wrote a couple quotes down
0: and I was like, oh my god, they're really like hammering oh, at home. Oh. Like I threw
2: up in my mouth at
0: one point.
1: <laughs> my favorite quote is, that woman is a woman. That woman is a woman. <laughs>
0: My favorite is I saw <laughs> I saw him kissing her boobies. Yes,
1: <laughs> yes her boobies. I, I boobies. saw it.
2: <laughs> I saw like, it. I My I favorite part is when she stabbed herself, and everyone just like smiled at him, like, "Oh yeah, okay."
1: Yeah. <laughs> Angsty teen. What a scam!
2: <laughs> <laughs> oh, how cute! <laughs> we could do a quick fire, like favorite part, least favorite part.
1: Well, um I, I do wanna say that I've never seen oh, this yes. movie before. And and I, I think I'm just sticking to the accent for this episode. We're just gonna see how this goes. You know what? If 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 Ben Affleck can pull off an English accent for the whole movie, I think I must do my due diligence here and uh try my best. So it might go a little Irish at times, but uh we'll see what we get. Yeah anyway. You
0: sound very you sound very Liverpool, that's what it sounds like. You got like that mix.
1: Yeah, that... Yeah. I it's kind it. of similar to yep. the movie
2: itself, where like the accents were everywhere. So it's all good.
1: Yeah. <laughs> we're from England. There were a lot of
0: non English people <laughs> with English accents. so I know.
1: Yeah. <laughs> all right, Robin, you have okay, an yeah. So, quick part favorite right.
2: part anytime Judy uh, Dench was on scene. Least favorite part? The plot. Just. Oh! <laughs> <laughs> just a whole thing.
0: We'll get to the plot Yikes. too because there's some interesting <laughs> sure. things that they did within the plot, but yes, the plot is a plot within itself, you know.
1: Liz, you should go next, Liz. Well, I think of mine.
0: <laughs> so, okay. I don't know if I've mentioned this on the podcast before, but my mom is an English music and English teacher, and I started reading Shakespeare with her when I was in 3rd grade we read Romeo and Juliet together. We just like sit in bed every night and read it. Uh, and so I I can probably, uh, mo- it's been a couple years since I've read it, but like for a long time, I would probably read it like once a year. And so just like the actual quotes that they're using from the play, um, that they're doing not like, not like when they're the scenes, when they're rehearsing the play, but like when they're actually, you know, like whether they're, you know, they did, they did the very cheeky, you know, fake balcony scene with where for out there Romeo kind of thing. And so I really enjoyed that just cause I just like, I just do love, I love, I love just Shakespeare in general. And I, I always love to like, Oh, those quotes are my favorite, um, least favorite. I'm trying to think, uh, The least favorite for me is just how, like, and again, I think we'll get into this, but, like, I didn't realize until I watched it this time how, like, tongue-in-cheek it is about, like, oh, Victorian, or not Victorian, Elizabethan England, it's so gross, there's plague, like, they did so many, like, tropes, which really, like, kind of, like, made it more jarring to, like, you didn't really feel like you were actually in the elizabethan era but they were like trying really hard to convince you that you were and yeah it just made me like question a lot of things i was like is this necessary um
1: there there is one shot in, in the movie where, where shakespeare's walking down the street and if you look a little closely behind him there's someone just pouring their shit over yeah. the yeah, exactly the and
0: like they meant they just briefly mentioned like the plague and you yeah. know like even the to- like the, the lot of them that like reference the future of like oh why would women ever be actors or like when um the evil guy's like oh i think tobacco is going to be really big in the future and you're like oh okay whatever like
2: i was watching it's a little cheap yeah i was watching the movie thinking it's like it's such a if anyone's a fan of the elizabethan era or you study it like this would be a bingo for you or like just a a thing full of easter eggs where you're supposed to take a shot wherever you see a reference like even all the characters that were actual people is insane like how they crammed everything into well it was two hours that's a long time but they crammed it all into one movie (laughs) (coughs) Patrick, you ready?
1: Alright, well, (laughs) let's see how this goes. I'll say, my favourite thing about the movie is actually the writing. I thought it was written really, really well. And which is interesting because I I don't agree with most of the the plot choices necessarily in terms of historical accuracy or anything like that. But the actual dialogue is... is pretty well done. And I was really surprised to realize that this movie was written by uh, Tom Stoppard, who's a, a very famous playwright, and he he's a really good writer. And, and it was really weird is so he has a play... I'm getting out of the accent for a minute. He has a play called Arcadia. <laughs> and this play uh, is really interesting because it actually deals in questions about history and historical interpretation and stuff. And so the play Arcadia is about this house and half the play takes place in, I guess, the Victorian era in the house. And the other half takes place in the present day where historians and particularly one historian um, is in the, in the house And trying to essentially figure out what happened with this family, like he's like, yeah, he's like a researcher and he researches this this wealthy family and he's in their house and he's like like last ditch effort trying to figure out the sort of like historical mysteries that that well for this book that he's writing or whatever. And at the same time, you, the audience, are seeing the actual story unfold at the same time, and obviously the stories are very, very different, and the conclusions that he comes to in the present are not at all what happened in the past and then the the themes are really about historical interpretation and the ways in which you remember things and all sort of stuff and so to to know that the same man who wrote that play wrote Shakespeare in love. <laughs> is so great. And he
0: won an Oscar <laughs> for it. It did win an Oscar mm-hmm. for, for the screenplay, so. Jeez. yeah, yeah
2: That makes yeah. it actually so much better. So, I like this movie more than right? just knowing <laughs> that this play exists.
1: Exactly. It's, it's incredible. Alright, so, that's that's my favourite one, and then my least favourite part of the movie is... God, there's so much to choose from. I don't know. I think... I... <laughs> right? <laughs> I... <I've... laughs> The absurdity of it all, uh, (laughs) literally all of it, the the whole plot, I think that's actually a very apt thing to not like about this movie. I don't know, because I think the things that I hate about it are things I actually love about it at the same time. So like, Jeffrey Rush (laughs) and Ben Affleck in these roles. Killed it, actually.
0: (laughs) Not gonna lie, Ben Affleck seems like he's just kind of playing himself with a British accent
1: like you know if yeah. you know honestly like i, I don't <laughs> yeah. i don't
0: know if that's actually more like what he's like but it literally just seems like it's ben affleck and he's just like i'm ben affleck i'm here i got the lead role and he totally <laughs> does yeah it. he's I like what do so you know? mean i have
2: one line <laughs> <laughs> fix it yeah
1: yeah the guy who's like the quintessential working class blue collar bostonian is playing like, like the most regal actor in Elizabethan in england
0: well, maybe, okay, For first of all, before we dive into this, obviously, if you haven't seen the movie, and you, you know, like, don't want spoilers, this is literally one giant spoiler, so, if you might have, things might have <laughs> already been spoiled for you, I should have maybe prefaced, uh, oh, well, you know, you know what you're getting into, so... You can stop. You can, you know, if you want to spend two hours of your life watching it and then come back to this episode, you're more than welcome. If you'd rather only spend one hour of your life listening to an informed yet, I don't know, hopefully entertaining and amusing commentary about this movie, then just just keep listening. Um... So maybe before we get into, you know, all the other things that we loved about it, didn't love about it, uh, I'll just kind of give us a brief intro to the movie and kind of to, uh, I guess, Shakespeare, Shakespearean history, Shakespearean theory in general. All right. So what's crazy is I think Patrick and I, Robin, know. But so this movie is as old as Patrick and I are. Uh, Yeah, it was it was released in 1998. It was directed by John Madden don't really know who he is I don't the think...
1: football guy
0: <laughs> I, I don't know my I immediately go to Steve Madden the shoe guy so okay not sure
2: but <laughs> oh <he what>? literally <laughs> doesn't even come up when you google him so that's not good really yeah if you just type in John Madden he doesn't show up but it could also be my Google like because I don't look this stuff up.
0: Well, if I click on Director John Madden, oh, my God. Oh, this man has had a lot of plastic surgery and not in a good way. Oh, oh, he
2: did American he... Beauty. This makes so much sense. Oh, he did American Beauty.
0: Oh,
2: <laughs> A lot of this is Best adding Best exotic up.
0: Marigold
2: Hotel. That's actually good. <laughs> oh, he did Chicago. Yeah.
0: He did Chicago? How come we've never heard of this man? Gladiator? Good and Lord. You know? Okay, so he's... He's into the, um, oh, why is there a movie coming up on his, called The Vagina Song?
2: Okay, there you go. That what? tracks. That tracks is what the the Shakespeare song. in Love brought us. That. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Shakespeare in Love, the sequel,
0: The Vagina Song. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, John Madden, what a guy. I guess we uh, we don't give him enough credit um this no movie... i
1: think we give him the exact amount yeah, of credit he yeah. deserves i think
0: he he does a I mean you know a good enough job at, at his job yeah. directing just another white director you know i
2: mean he got an oscar for, it it for some reason but
0: he got an oscar for it yeah so this movie in um well it's interesting because it says it was the highest grossing film of 1998 even though it was released like in the last five days of 1998 but it grossed it grossed 289.3 million worldwide and was the ninth highest grossing film of 1998 which is crazy um especially because like i don't know it's just like an an ironic movie that people just watch now but i guess it was up there with titanic and like probably all these other like you know classic 1998 movies um i know and it won seven oscars as i mentioned it won best picture it won best actress for gwyneth paltrow best supporting actress for dame judy dench well deserved and it also won best screenplay written directly for the screen i didn't even know that was a, a category but i guess it is
1: oh yeah yeah <laughs> as opposed to adapted
0: yeah exactly
1: hmm which is interesting because it's about shakespeare and the plot is so much like Alright, oh, anyway it's fine
0: yeah <laughs> So, um, what do you guys know? What do you guys know about Shakespeare? Or even like, do you have a favorite play? Um, yeah, what is your education on Shakespeare like? I feel like a lot of us probably have the same education and the same kind of like, p- not prejudice, but yeah, the same, the same vibe towards
2: <laughs> Shakespeare. I like. I think my last time that I saw Shakespeare was high school, but my favorite plays are Macbeth because that that play's just crazy and I love it. And Twelfth Night's Hilarious, mostly because I love She's the Man. (laughs) I know Shakespeare, his life is not at all as what they depicted in the movie, like not even close. So he was like, fuck bitches, get money. And you're like, no. I don't think so. He's like, (laughs) it's almost as if they're taking credit away from him a lot of times in the movie, too, because he's like going to other people. And it's like, how should I write this or what should I write? When it's like, he definitely didn't do that.
1: Like Marlowe gave him all those ideas. <laughs> I guess
2: it can be interpreted in different ways. But yeah, it's very basic. I know he had a wife and I know I one thing is like I know that his his house burnt down and like all the documents that were originally his or even images of him were all burnt. So we don't actually have any original things that belong to him. That's right. i yeah. don't even know what he looks like, truly.
0: No, yeah, it's mostly like um, the first kind of images of him weren't reproduced until at least nine years after his death. Um, Nine years after his death was when the first folio was published. So that is the original document that a lot of his playwright friends collected and saved of those things that did kind of burn or got lost. So we have what we think is about... That folio, anyway, was about half of his original work. So there's probably another half that was totally lost in those fires. Um, And this was... It was mostly, I think it was 136, not, not even 136 poems. I think it was like a couple hundred poems and two narrative poems and uh, a couple plays that were originally published. But Wow. Yeah. But he was long dead by that, that point, so.
2: Patrick, what do you know? What's your prior knowledge?
1: Well, I was in theatre in high school, so um, I know a bit more about his plays than about him as a person, I suppose. Yeah, let me think. I think my favorite play of his is well, I love Othello. Very good. I think Iago's an interesting villain because he's not all like, "Wow, well, I'm gonna hit you with my sword or whatever." He's very methodical and uh, manipulative, and I think it makes an interesting villain. I also like Twelfth Night. I'm a I'm a sucker for Midsummer Night's Dream because I love fairies. Puck is a is a motherfucking badass. Stanley Tucci's great. And yeah, I think yeah, I think those are my favorite ones for sure about shakespeare himself i think i know less than robin honestly i know he's he's english <laughs> i know it, it, there's a lot of a lot of i don't know if this is speculation or whatever but a lot of like assumptions that he's gay or something like that or that yeah I mean, actually I, I have
0: a pretty big point on
2: that and we'll get to that too
1: oh boy yes. okay that's about it yeah for-
2: this movie could also okay. go that way too well, that's,
0: so that's the thing. So first of all, you guys both, um, you both mentioned Twelfth Night. Did you pick up on the Twelfth Night plot, the plot within a plot in the movie? Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay. I did. I, it's kind of annoying. They're
1: that like, woman is a woman!
0: That woman is a woman! And her <laughs> name light. is Viola. Like, her name is Viola, <laughs> right, and she ends up lost on a shipwreck. It's like, it's kind of cool, because then you can imagine, like... She gets lost on the shipwreck. She comes ashore. This is the end of the movie. Spoilers again. Sorry. And then, like, that's where Twelfth Night picks up kind of deal. That'd be kind of cool. But, yes, if again. And that's a, that's a plot that happens in Shakespearean plays a lot as well. Um, yeah. But I thought that was very interesting. Um, but, yeah. Okay. So, William Shakespeare. What a guy. He was born. Uh, we don't know much about him. Again, a lot of it was uh kind of kept through his friends and a lot of what we do know and the records are either so old they were never preserved or destroyed um but he was born in 1564 in stratford stratford upon avon um his mo his birthday is usually celebrated on the 23rd of april um but we also believe that he died on the 23rd of april i believe there is a burial register that he was buried around that time and there's a baptism record that says he was baptized around that time so it's probably within a few days of each other um so he was maybe born and died on the same day which is very interesting he died again in april in 1616 so he was what was he in his 40s his 40s i think um, he, William was the oldest of eight children uh, his father John Shakespeare was a glove maker uh, and he also performed a lot of civic duties in Stratford so that meant that he had an elevated status and a little bit of a higher income so that's why William and a lot of his siblings were able to attend grammar school and that's why he was able to read and write because <laughs> otherwise you'd be a serf working on the work in the land with no education whatsoever <laughs> Um, he actually, I didn't know this. I knew that he was married to uh, Ann Hathaway, his wife. Um, but I didn't know this. So he, he was only 18 when they got married and she was 26. And apparently she was already pregnant with their first child. Cougar. Yeah. So I was almost like turned <laughs> 18 and was immediately like, "Kate, you got to, like, you got her pregnant. You got to lock that down. Uh, and it was a very hasty yeah. ceremony. Yeah. And I think that kind of like explains, again, we do know that he was not faithful to her she lived in stratford upon even while he was living in london as a as a actor and playwright and all those things and we know again like through the sonnets and everything it's very obvious he wasn't only ever with anne um and that's probably why because like a lot of people like you're forced into a marriage because you know shotgun wedding basically so i didn't know that about him it kind of makes sense um yeah together they had three children their oldest susanna Uh, And then a couple years after she was born, um, Anne had twins, actually. Hamnet, which is a weird name, H-A-M-N-E-T, and Judith. (laughs) So, yeah, Hamnet unfortunately died while he was, I think he was three or four years old. So he only had two living children. Yeah. So what's interesting is Shakespeare's reputation in London begins in 1592. Uh, however his last record of him in Stratford upon Avon is the late to mid to late 1580s. So between like uh, 1585 and 1592 these are called the lost years. We actually don't know where he's living or what he's doing at that point. We don't know if he's in Stratford or if he's in London or he's somewhere else. It's kind of interesting. Um, is but Is that
1: when he talked to the aliens who told him about all the plots? It, for it his must, plays be, right? It must be, right? It must be. Who turned on the Discovery oh, Channel. <laughs> <laughs> Aliens.
0: <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah, That's I didn't it. know that either. So, it's not until uh, 1592 when he kind of pops up in London on the theater scene. This is around the time when his first works were published. Um, his first works were actually um, two long poems, almost like epics, which, if you know his work, you know his sonnets and how he writes. Um, it's not at all his style later on. So um, he released uh, Venus and Adonis in 1593 and then the Rape of Lucrecy in 1594. Sounds like a great time. Uh, Very
2: positive (laughs) um, stuff.
0: Right. Yes. And around this time, he also became a founding member of the Lord Chamberlain's men, which is a company of actors. Uh, At the time they played at one of the first, first theaters ever erected in London called the theater and <laughs> <laughs> literally I guess it was the only one so you call it the theater um, the
1: theater right beside the restaurant
0: yeah and I guess around this time it burnt down and that's when the um, the Rose was built the so if you watch the movie um, the rose is the or sorry the globe the globe theater. Uh, It was sometimes called The Rose as well, but the Globe Theatre was erected, and that's where they were performing, and that's where a lot of his, his plays were performed for the first time and many other times after. Um, but yeah, he wasn't, he obviously was not a famous dramatist right away. Uh, he actually wasn't really famous at all in his life. Um, kind of a Mozart situation. Um, but yeah, he was, uh, basically more or less just an actor for them for a long time. And on average, he would put on two of his plays a year, uh, for almost 20 years consecutively. That's why we have so much work from him. So he remained with the company for the rest of his career which is kind of interesting so again because he didn't take off as a um, very successful playwright he mostly just kind of acted and put out things so yeah he remained with the company for the rest of his career. Um, it eventually evolved under the name the King's Men because right around 16- 1603. Um, Queen Elizabeth I died, and King James I um, became king. And during this time, Shakespeare wrote many of his most famous tragedies, like King Lear and Macbeth, uh, as well as great romances like Winter's Tale and The Tempest. Um, so, his known work includes 38 plays, two narrative poems, so you can tell it was those two that he began his career with. He clearly was not vibing with that form after that. 154 sonnets and a variety of other poems and writings but no original manuscripts remain kind of like what Robin said um, so what we know from him today uh, is that players from his group actually collected all of what was left of his publications um, after he died to preserve them and these writings were brought together and what was known um, is what is known by Shakespearean scholars as the first folio folio because that's how that's the size of the paper it was published on and how it was composed like physically Um, and it contained 36 of his plays oh but none of his poetry and was published in 1623 so he died in 1616 and then his first works were published in 1623 Patrick mentioned something and so I wanted to talk about this um, about maybe Shakespeare was not um, was not fully heterosexual (laughs) Um, and this is kind of correct I'll get into that I have like points that feed into that uh, but many plot devices that are in Shakespeare and Love how we've kind of mentioned before are very common in Shakespearean comedies and other plays of the Elizabethan era so the queen disguised as a commoner is one cross-dressing disguises obviously mistaken identities sword fights uh, suspicion of adultery even the appearance of a ghost there's that scene where mm. um, <laughs> Lord Wessex he, see, he pretends he yeah. sees Shakespeare and thinks he's a ghost and of course a play within a play um, and you can tell that this the, the whole movie is situated around Shakespeare writing Romeo and Juliet I, I I don't think again Romeo and Juliet is known like none of that was actually true that happened he just wrote it nothing and it wasn't you know <laughs> yeah. what I, you know what I mean it's it's not true at all but it's within the plot of Twelfth Night with again the mistaken lovers and the cross dressing and the sinking ship and deserted island and all that kind of stuff Um Kit Marlowe or Christopher Marlowe is also presented in the film as the master playwright who was considered to be one of the greatest English uh, dramatists of his time. And that's actually true. Um, everyone loved, and you see that there, they're talking about, you know, is this the face <laughs> that the launched ambitions. a thousand ships and yeah, sunk the to- topless towers of Ilium, etc. etc. Uh, he was the most famous at his time, but he was murdered in a bar. I did like that, or not murdered, but like, got in a fight and died um, i do like that they like kind of spun it so it was like lord wessex thought that viola was hooking up with um was hooking up with Marlowe instead of shakespeare and so he had Marlowe killed i thought that was very interesting um yeah. but again not historically so accurate that's what i'm all. saying the bingo
2: like they're trying to fit every single thing into <laughs> one movie oh
0: that's the thing it's just so obvious like you don't really have to be a historian or a shakespeare nerd to like notices Mm -hmm. things but Mm -hmm. one of the big things um that is kind of ignored in this is homoeroticism um so i was able to find a couple different kind of um scholars that actually were writing about this and actually mentioned Shakespeare in Love in particular. So I have a quote that says, moviegoers who've seen Shakespeare in Love must now be convinced that Shakespeare's ravishing sonnet, Shall I Compare Thee to a Summer's Day, was written for a fair fair haired, wealthy young woman, Viola de Lesseps, who bore a striking resemblance to the actress Gwyneth Paltrow. One of the few things that scholars know about Shakespeare is that this poem, it's number 18 in the 1609 edition that was published, um, is one of a group of sonnets apparently written for a fair-haired, wealthy young man who was actually, um, yeah, he was actually listed in the sonnet. It was written to a Mr. W.H. in 1609.
1: Mr. Woody Harrelson.
2: I knew it. That's it. He was already
1: married to Anne Hathaway. And now he's, he's going, going for, for Woody, Woody Harrels.
2: Um, he wants them all. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: So I thought this was really interesting because, again, gender is like a huge role and uh, heterosexuality is, is kind of like one of the main things that anchors this plot. Um, but it's also kind of, again, very tongue in cheek that she's cross-dressing as a man. And so in in that way, maybe he is attracted to men as well. Um, it's it's very interesting. But I think the the real issue and we actually talked about this when we were talking about Achilles and like um, Greek mythology all the way back when we were talking about the Iliad in episodes three Four and five, I think. Um, and that's that we need to think historically about sexuality. Shakespeare would never have identified as homosexual because or he could have identified as homosexual but not in the way that we understand it today um, and that was very common in Elizabethan uh, England and actually homosociality male homosociality is a major theme throughout so many of his plays he has these like really like brotherly you know like you have Romeo and Mercutio um, and all these characters that seem to have this kind of brotherly bond this like male connection um, that was common at the time and did have sexual undertones but is you know that would be considered maybe gay in today's standards but if we were to think historically as an elizabethan that's not the case at all so i thought that was very interesting
2: i've heard some very interesting like interpretations of that sonnet as well like when i was in high school my my teacher suggested like not only is it about a man but it could also be about a man that is very full of himself the the sonnet goes on and he's saying like i you're I could compare you to summer but summer fades like the only way you're gonna stay immortal is because of me because I'm writing you down like I I control this and I thought that was very neat and then at one point what I like you said like I think it was misused in the movie or maybe it was used properly but to address it to Viola herself I was like no that's not it but he he kind of made reference to this when he saw Rosaline cheating on him in the beginning and he was like I could have made you immortal like you ruined it and I was like oh the sonnet yeah it's so true
1: it all connects it's coming
2: around, <laughs> it's
1: coming around. And it, it is so
0: interesting too like that you know that he was not well known in his time at all and it's but like posthumously he is like greater than god like especially shakespearean theorists are like he is god he gave us all these words and like you know all so many things that we use every day come from shakespeare um and maybe we can kind of talk about that uh one of the questions i had was like why do we study shakespeare i had a actually had a drama teacher in high school who was also an english teacher and like he refused to teach shakespeare because he was like i don't want to teach kids about a really old dead white guy like what's the point like can't we learn something new but, okay, the question, why do we teach Shakespeare? What is the point? Literally, his works are 400 years old. How come 400 years later, we're still teaching him? And why? And should we even be teaching him? Like, I don't know. Can you put your historian thinking caps on and think, like, why we would even want to? Or why why don't we study Marlowe and other Elizabethan playwrights?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. That was a really I good just, question.
0: I genuinely, like, I don't even think I have an answer to it. I just, like, want to know what you guys think. <laughs>
2: I have, like, a basic yeah. answer. Like, I can see why it's justified to be brought into schools. I would think it's because Shakespeare created some very classic stories that are continuously reused throughout time. Still today, you can watch a movie and be like, oh, that's actually a reference to a Shakespeare play. Like, even something as simple as, um, I think it's, it's the lion king yeah the lion king and even its sequel they're both references to like or taken from shakespeare so that's like i think would be a basic ver- version of a, like if a school had to justify why do we teach it they'll be like it's classic and it's still used today
1: yeah yeah something that's universally recognizable and you know that like anyone can know what shakespeare is and so like we can all just sort of do shakespeare and it's it's sort of like like easy that way in some ways actually uh, that's a really lovely point that's actually a very nice point i was gonna have a very cynical cynical answer i really no. but i love that answer that's really great well because it's true he has like 38 plays and they all play on really basic themes and they're, they're sort of fundamental to humanity as a whole and so um and and yeah so i think that's actually a very very good answer i also just think that it's you know classic product of colonialism and whiteness and patriarchy and it's it's just you know
0: I think there's a reason why so many kids don't enjoy learning Shakespeare in high school. And I think part of it is because like, you're not like, it'd be really cool to learn about Shakespeare and learn like, okay, how do we understand sexuality in history and in different time periods? What kind of themes are going on here? And what, how does that reflect on modern society? How does the role of women, you know, like, I think it's really comforting for us to be like, this is a classic. And like in the, the movie hints on that a lot, like all of these archaic principles that we can laugh at now that women were not allowed on stage and that they were oppressed in this way and that kind of thing um
1: that woman is a woman I will keep saying this.
0: You're all arrested. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, seriously? And it was illegal. It was actually in Elizabethan theater too oh, illegal yeah. oh, because sure. you needed to, you know, fill, fulfill your womanly duties and stay home. And um, women who did perform, there were women who performed in, in theater, but they were uh, basically labeled the same as prostitutes. Um, but yeah, I think it's like, it's a comforting narrative for us to like, look back on it and we're like, we've evolved so much in 400 yeah. years, but if you look at it, a lot of it, we haven't. Sure, yeah. You know? Yeah.
1: yeah, yeah. I think it's also, it's um, an extension of sort of great men history, you know, how like all, a lot of what we're taught about in history is that history is a history of, in, like history of individuals and particularly of, of male individuals and white male in, and so on and so on. Privileged people dominate history. And so in the same sort of idea, in the same sort of vein, rather. Instead of looking at a breadth of Elizabethan playwrights and that sort of thing, you sort of focus on one because he's the great man. He's one of the greats or whatever. And and that that philosophy is inherently Western and inherently colonial and all that sort of stuff. And so, yeah, it's just sort of a product of of our past. And it's sad. But I like Robin's answer. I agree too.
2: Like, it seems like it's just the easy route to keep going this way and not push outside of the boundaries or even like i love your point liz of can we interpret this differently like if we approach shakespeare Shakespeare with different big questions than just like what's romeo and juliet about love everlasting and revenge or whatever no let's look at it through a new angle and honestly
0: the only reason why i can actually sit down and read shakespeare and understand it is because i started at a young age and i did it frequently but like we weren't really meant to think like that anyway again 400 years later like it would be the same as like let's all learn latin again it, yeah, it's, it's a whole other language it's a whole other language and like it's what it sucks is that you're not instead of trying to teach people how to understand the words that are being spoken like in a way of, like, how, okay, what does it translate into modern times? Again, if we could think more, like, historically about it, that'd be really cool. Or even just start asking the bigger questions, and, like, how much more exciting would it be to come in and be like, okay, was Shakespeare actually Shakespeare? Was Shakespeare actually writing his works? What points to it that we could say that maybe he didn't or he did? How do we think historically about that? Was he gay? I don't know. Let's talk about it. What You know, things like that. That is so much more exciting than, like, you know, recite these three passages and you know, translate them into modern English because, you know, that's exactly how they were intended to be listened to is in modern English. No, it's not. It's not.
2: Right. And it's not useful or productive. And
0: you're reading it like a book and it's not a book. It's a play.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, okay. Yes. So uh, I was going to say that that uh, my main entry uh, entry point for Shakespeare is, is through theater and, and my drama classes and everything. And, and it was a lot of fun in that context. I really, really liked it because I, in an individual sense, I really liked it because I'm one of those people who really likes poetry and, and sort of the 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 waxing poetic that like Shakespeare does all the time. I'm I'm I I adore. Entirely. In the
0: iambic pentameter, just like speaking it, it's so. Oh cool.
1: right, yes, it's really it's it's beautiful, right? And like there's one the one line in, in the balcony part of Romeo and Juliet where he says like, "Oh man, to be a glove on your cheek, so I could like like I don't know, just there, there's adorable wordplay that I think is really really fun, and and I adore. And I think that in in a theatrical context and actually putting the uh, putting a Shakespeare play on stage is a really great way to get at the language and the poetry of it, not trying to figure out what it means in terms of literal translation to the present, but more about sort of figuring out what the words mean in in a dramatic way and how you can make those words actionable. so you're not just sort of speaking a monologue to the audience but you're actually able to interpret what the character's saying and and provide action and you know all the sort of actor stuff that you do and to, to bring it to life uh and i think that that really gives a, a unique perspective onto shakespeare's life well.
2: yeah totally i gotta say i have to did y'all hate that scene i have to mention this the scene where they're doing yes. the balcony thing and they but they're also like paralleling them to in bed and then you know juliet says oh my love is deep and he then he says it to her while he's yeah they're together oh it's, yeah. Like, that's part I wanted well, if
1: Shakespeare is known for one thing in the world, it's a dick yeah. joke.
2: That's yeah, well it's thing. not even done because he's like, stay longer and I'll come again. And then back yeah. like, to the <laughs> <laughs> like- room. <You're> like, um <laughs> Yeah. Shut it off. I need to go for a walk. Like <laughs> Yeah, that's an aside, but I had to tell somebody. <laughs> it is
0: pretty funny ones that i wanted to mention are also like they're like that it's so painfully obvious what the writer is trying to do and it's when um viola is across the room from the evil guy lord wessex and there is like her father is there or someone's there a representative from the queen or i forget who it is and he's asking um lord wessex or like maybe the lord wessex main man i don't know um about viola and he says will she, she,
1: she will breed if she do not he says
0: if not send her back is she oh, obedient yeah. obedient as a mule your father should keep you better informed he has bought me for you he tells her at one point and then he says you know i'm gonna bring viola to court to meet the queen and she's going to approve you or not and he says be submissive modest grateful and brief and so, like, it's just, like, the way that they're trying to frame gender and, like, oppress women, in the whole, like, again, like, oh, weren't they so archaic in the Elizabethan times? It's just, like, like, just stop. Like, like there's a more, get it. It's not an original thought. I know you think it is, but it's not. And so I did some kind of digging because I actually wanted to know a little bit more about gender specifically on Shakespeare's stage. And so I found a article written by someone named Lucas Garcia and I highlighted a couple things I thought were really interesting. So the tradition, he says, the tradition of men portraying women on public stages dates back to the theaters of the ancient Greeks and is present in several other theatrical tr- traditions around the world. For the development of these traditions, um, which were to endure for uh, various degrees of thousands of years are intricately connected to how concepts of gender and sex were understood and specifically the role of women in society. Ancient Greek women, like many women of Shakespeare's England did not have the right to to vote or own property and were expected to remain at home and rear children and many of these um, uh, same concepts were to form the core of 17th century english gender dynamics during the time of shakespeare and the reign of queen elizabeth i and james i uh, england uh, english ideas of sex and gender the legal rights of women and the social expectations of femininity all played a significant role in the way that theater was performed the stories it told and who played them and so acting was in some ways the exact opposite of those expectations um, that fem- that females were in supposed to embody. Um, so like I mentioned, female actors who actually like decided to act on stage were often associated with sexual incontinence, prostitution and indecency. Uh, Though there was evidence that women did act in street performances and in other notorious venues, all commercial acting companies at the time were made up entirely of men. And it was illegal for women to act on the stage professionally until 1661. So I think that's super interesting. Um, And that, Again, what frustrates me about this is that a woman is somehow in living in this society, grown up in this society. I'll have poetry in my life. And adventure. And love, above all. Gwyneth Paltrow is somehow like, this isn't right. This is oppressive to women. I'm going to go against everyone's wishes and dress up as a man and prove that a woman can do anything. It's like, you would never, if you're thinking historically, you would never do that. Like, sorry, I wish. I think that'd be really cool especially right. a noble woman like maybe again if you're already a prostitute you already you know whatever maybe you're a little bit more ballsy um and your whole reputation is not on the line
2: like you're not gonna do it oh my god i just hearing that i think that would have been such like an interesting i not even like a diversion of the plot maybe even just let's take the movie that way what if there was consequences to her actions of becoming an actor like let's say instead of just being like well let's pretend she never did it instead it's like you know what boom you lost your status you lost everything and then like let's explore that and then like what are the other women in these roles that are dealing with this or who have been dealing with it from the beginning way cooler movie yeah way cooler way cooler. Movie. instead they're like never <laughs> mind she she got away with it the queen saw her and said it's chill
0: and even just like the way they play like like the women are all very much like even the prostitutes are like the other people that are randomly having sex throughout this movie like oh my god there fuck that oh, sh- oh my god
1: <laughs> the one scene where the dude walks and in and he's just full of the like... room and the guys just like <laughs> you're like uh
0: okay alrighty. oh we're still oh doing my this god. Scene. okay yeah it's yeah. just like, it's like the... And maybe that's, maybe that's how sex could have been portrayed in, in Elizabethan England. But like, these prostitutes would not be all like, oh, I love you. and Like, and you know, women too, like, you know, falling in love and whatever else. Like, unfortunately, I don't really think that was the case for a lot of these women. They were trying to make a living. Um, And so it's really a disservice to them to portray them as just kind of these beautiful, young, foolish girls who just like to fall in love or, you know, are just just very happy in their circumstances when they wouldn't be. Whereas, you know, you know, bratty Gwyneth Paltrow isn't happy with her, you know, rich life. And so she gets to go off and do whatever. And again, experience zero consequences. You're so right. Yeah. It's just like, oh, come on.
1: One note that continually came up for me was just where does she put her hair i don't understand yeah like <laughs> when she plays a boy no, but like i she know takes it off like, her hair, she has a lot of hair so perfectly <laughs> okay sure
0: that's a big hollywood thing like, i see that hollywood. a lot and it's like you hollywood. need to have a full wig cap like compressed like yeah. or the long hair was
2: a wig <laughs> that's probably more realistic and so both hair was not real if they if she truly tried to tuck in all that hair into her wig like the wig would sit maybe a few inches above her head and it's so funny too
0: that they expect that and maybe they're kind of pulling you know they're kind of pulling the wool over her eyes and that we're like do you really think anyone would actually believe that this this man is a woman cross-dressing as a man but I guess, like, it, it's kind of a stab at, like, well, you were supposed... To, uh, maybe it's painfully obvious to the audience, like, it was painfully obvious to the audience back then that this little pipsqueak of a boy is supposed to be Juliet, you know? It's that same thing. So I think that's... They do a good job in that way. of just kind of, like, confronting us with uh, with Shakespearean life and with our own life. But, yeah, I thought that was interesting, too. It's like, no one would actually believe this for a minute.
2: Ugh.
1: No, not at all.
2: Not at all. Especially when like, Shakespeare's like, point. let me show you how to kiss Romeo. Oh, it's that was so bad. That everyone's just like, oh. Okay. <laughs> just make...
1: Yeah.
0: And some, so somehow yeah. it's like not well, acceptable for him to be uh, homosexual or like kind of on that spectrum of, of homoeroticism. Yeah.
2: But then on but, the stage, it's like, it's fine. But then
0: on the stage, she's doing it and it's fine. But then like, yeah, off the stage, he's like very
2: straight. Only likes yeah, women. Yeah, it's so dumb.
1: I would I would be fascinated if there's an article or book out there that talks about sort of Elizabethan sexuality in terms of, of of this idea where it's like you know in the context of theater it's okay for two men to kiss each other, but is it is it is it okay because like they're not having sex? Is it okay because it's performative and it's their jobs and and everyone can acknowledge that this isn't yeah, romantic or, like or sexual in any way or uh, right, or is it okay because it still looks like a man and a woman? Like, I, I would just, I would be curious about the gender fluidity of, of Elizabethan theatre. I think that would be a fascinating article. Even that, mm-hmm. like,
0: women need to stay home and be invisible and not have a voice and not have any power, yet a woman, oh, oh and they have to get married and have children, and an unmarried woman who never had a child is ruling the country. <laughs> <laughs> Miss Jane Judy, yeah. Dame Judy Dench. Like, isn't that such a backwards like, yeah. way of thinking that, like, as a woman you're not allowed to do that but like the queen is doing that it's so strange yeah you're right
1: well with with queen elizabeth like the rhetoric was literally that god was controlling her body and that's why it was was okay it was like some bullshit like that
2: virgin
1: queen right yeah right it was in, in that like that like god informs like royalty and 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 monarchy and all that sort of stuff and so um her being the leader of of the state, whatever we, the leader, of the king, the, the, the queen, the, the fucking leader queen, of
2: the world in her eyes,
1: the leader of the world. <laughs> but that would be the idea is that is that God would be in charge of her because a woman couldn't okay, do her that. Okay, that makes own, sense. Obviously.
2: So they just find crazy ways to justify it, and they're like this. Oh, hundred perception.
1: <laughs> the history of men is finding crazy and absurd reasons for them to be above everyone else. It's really funny.
2: <laughs> I mean, they're they're getting good at it, unfortunately. Well. My, I think my last point
0: is kind. Maybe it's a little random, but I did want to address because I teased it. And I wanted to make sure I didn't leave anyone on a cliffhanger. Did Shakespeare actually write Shakespeare's works? Oh my god!
2: Um, yes. Good question. Yes,
0: this is something that growing up I always was taught, and even like if you want to keep watching stupid Shakespeare movies. You can watch oh. *Anonymous*, oh. <laughs> which was a movie oh, yeah. written about.
1: We should we should return to this next we really season. We watch should. two. I was thinking about that. <laughs> I was
0: like, well, we could watch *Anonymous*, but maybe *Shakespeare in Love* was a good place to start, and then we could do a sequel. Yeah, so. and hopefully we I can actually so. like get together when covid isn't a thing and like actually watch it and like record us watching it. Live react. That would be way would more be fun to have a live reaction. So let us know if you would want to see that. Um but yeah, did he write it? And I was like I, okay, I want to see what the research is. I want to actually see what scholars are saying about did he write it or not. Um and it was a pretty so it was interesting. So the theory that Shakespeare did not write his own works came about 200 yeah, 200 years after his death in the 1800s when two scholars were randomly, like, literally, like, stirring the pot. Like, wonder what if he didn't write these? What if Shakespeare was some imaginary person and it was actually Lord Kentucky Chicken Sandwich or, like, whatever the f- fuck his name is. Like, there's so many people, they're like, it could be this person, could be this person, could have been a woman, right, who was, like, writing under... No, no. It's pretty obvious that because all of his friends and the fellow playwrights around him wrote his name, drew his likeness, even though we didn't actually have any images from when he was alive, and attributed his name to this dead person that could have been any other person, right? They chose William Shakespeare, and there is evidence that William Shakespeare was a real person from Stratford of Avon, and so there is a burden of proof that shakespeare wrote shakespeare unfortunately that's kind of a not so great not so glamorous answer but it's just so funny how like we're all like "Hmm, what about this and it's like again just use historical thinking and it's like pretty freaking obvious like why would anyone steal that name or if they they could have stole the name but they didn't they kept it so it's an easy answer but yeah that's our shakespeare special i feel super happy that my little english literature background can shine for once this is
2: so fun it is fun. Oh, just saying the movie frustrated me. This is fun. Yes. It makes it. W- yeah. I hope
1: it made it worthwhile. Yeah. Yeah. I
2: hope so. Oh, yeah.
1: It really did. I mean, it was hard to get through. So if you I haven't like watched it.
0: If you haven't watched it in a while, make some popcorn. <laughs> just like sit and like laugh. Yeah. You
1: know. Watch it in half hour yes. chunks. <laughs>
0: yeah. Uh, well, that's why I have, my notes were so detailed for this because I was watching it last night and was just like doing other things while watching it because I was like, I don't want to like fully pay attention to this because I've seen it a lot anyway. But, yeah. I'd love to hear, um, I'd love to hear too about anyone's like either really cringy bad high school Shakespeare experiences. Maybe you had some good experiences. Maybe you had one or two really good teachers. Maybe you're like me and your mom made you read it in third grade. Let me know. Maybe you never read it. Good for you if you didn't. I honestly, I think it's worth your time to read other
2: things. But. Yeah. And let us know are they changing it up in in schools? Like are you finally exploring different things? I hope so i hope so
0: or at least different plays not romeo and juliet hamlet macbeth king lear like raid taming of the shrew or like one of the really fun ones you know winter's tales are great comedy errors. oh there's so many good ones right so i had to get all the way into like third year university to actually be studying different plays than those so
2: yes but yeah let us also know if you want to get that sequel next season with Anonymous. I think we're almost yes. dead set on doing it, but just would love to hear your opinion. <laughs> Whether you want it or not, it's
0: happening. But we want to know your opinion as well.
1: Amazing. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, Katie's not here, so can't end.
2: that's it. it. Goes on forever.
1: It can't end. That's.
2: Let's just start the other movie right now. <laughs>
1: Who wants to Who wants to say her famous line?
0: Well, we can at least try in our most Shakespearean way. Seest thou on the, thou on the
1: most thou flippy of flops. flops. Yes. Yeah. Is... Pinky's up. Pinky's up. See goodbye. Ta-ta. Bye-bye. Fast <laughs> <Thrust> forward. <laughs> Turn the movie off. <laughs> that woman is a woman! <laughs>
0: Digital Dust is recorded on the traditional lands of the Anishinaabek, Haudenosaunee, Lanapawak, and Attawandaron peoples, on lands connected with the London Township and Somber Treaties of 1796, and the Dish with One Spoon Covenant Wampum. This land continues to be home to First Nations peoples, Métis people, and Inuit people, whom we recognize as the contemporary stewards of the land and waters we are on today. Digital Dust is hosted and produced by Elizabeth Edwards, Katie Gaskin, Patrick Kingan, and Robin Marshall. Sound design by Elizabeth Edwards. Audio transcription by Katie Gaskin. Our theme music is by Mattias Miller.